Hello once again, everybody, and thank you for joining me here on this Tuesday, May 19th edition of Bang the Book Radio. My name is Adam Burke, your host for the next 35, 40 minutes or so as I chat with Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. We're going to talk NASCAR, we're going to talk golf, we're going to talk about the fact that sports may actually be coming back relatively soon. Talk a little bit about the horse racing tracks that are going to open up this week and the ones that opened up here over this past weekend. Over at bangthebook.com, churning out lots of content for you. Daily KBO article, as you know, split down the middle two and two again here on Tuesday morning. Hoping to finally get into a groove with that. But if you missed yesterday's edition of the Betters Box, please go back and check that out. My KBO betting podcast. Lots of great betting tips in that for you. Got a preview of tonight's Xfinity Series race. Assuming that goes off, weather permitting. If it doesn't, that'll go off Thursday at noon. And the Cup Series race, expected to go Wednesday night. Once again, if that doesn't go, that'll go Thursday night. But previews of both of those over at bangthebook.com. Then also a preview of the match, the Champions for Charity event, Tiger and Peyton Manning against Phil and Tom Brady. Got a preview up over at the website for that as well. And of course, as you know, this and every edition of Bang the Book Radio, presented by our friends over at DSI Sportsbook, BTB and the number 200 is that promo code 100% deposit match bonus for the sportsbook and a 100% deposit match bonus for the live casino at BetDSI. It's only a game until you bet it. As I said, one guest on the program here today, and that is Brian Blessing, the host of Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline. Brian, how's it going today, man? I'm good, Adam. I'll tell you what, let me just listen to your little preview. I'm like, oh, don't tell me. So while you were yapping away, I went and google darlington weather and that's right that tropical storms going up the eastern seaboard so uh tuesday and wednesday night may be dicey yeah they may be dicey like i said thursday at noon for the xfinity race and then thursday night at seven for the cup series race and you know quite frankly i mean obviously these drivers are itching to get back behind the wheel for the xfinity series and kyle bush is in that race so of course he's the overwhelming favorite to win it but the Xfinity Series, not real accustomed to running at night, where the tire wear is a lot different, the track plays a lot differently. Honestly, for those teams and those drivers, they may be better off just doing an afternoon race on Thursday. How many races are we got? What? Cars and trucks, right? Just Kyle Busch is going to win every one of those races. Every Pro- one. Probably he's, he, should. He, he's odds on. He's like minus $1.50 to win the thing, and it's a car race. So, you know, put that on the board. But the race Sunday we talked about would be a real opportunity to use the eyeball test to lasso something for the upcoming race. And uh, to me, uh, and Harvick was was dominant, and Dar- Harvick can come right back, but I think you bring up a great point. Uh, the race in the day as opposed to the race in the night. Uh, other cars are going to step to the forefront. Harvick may not be as good. Uh, but I'll tell you what I watched Sunday. Uh, I'm, I'm all about Chase Elliott. Uh, in the upcoming race. Real quickly on the Xfinity Series, you've seen Kyle Busch as high as minus 170 now for that one out there in the offshore marketplace. The only thing that would worry me about that price is somebody could take him out. You know, I mean, it's very tough to lay any kind of number in a NASCAR race because, again, you're going to have these Xfinity Series guys that haven't been behind the wheel in two months, no practice, no qualifying, so on and so forth. And a lot of these guys aren't Cup Series guys because they're either learning, they're very young guys in their early 20s, or they're just not good enough to be at that level. So 
I don't know. I feel like maybe some price plays in the Xfinity Series race aren't a bad idea. Like a Daniel Hemrick, his price has actually come down from uh, 27.5 to 1 to 20 to 1. Austin Sindrick down to 16 to 1. But, you know, Kyle Busch, I mean, he should win these when he's in them. But, you know, it's also, I, I think it makes sense to, to like Kyle Busch in a certain context because he raced on this track on Sunday. Now he comes back maybe on Tuesday, probably on Thursday to race it again. He's got you know some time in the car, and that certainly helps. So well, keep that in oh, mind by the way, Xfinity Series going forward. And oh, by the way, he had damage on the car, and he he roared back into contention, or at least into the top five there in the closing stretches of the race. So yeah, he'll be fine. And and you're right about the rust. And can somebody take him out? It it was one of those jaw dropping moments. Uh, actually, you know, you can make a case for Jimmy Johnson this week. Uh, Jimmy Johnson. Uh, was literally the dominant car in stage one. And they spent 15 laps talking about Hall of Fame career. And now he's got to get some, he's got some confidence and the car's good. And, you know, can he get back in the winner's circle? It'd be great. And he, and it, it, this will be great for him to get the stage points and build the confidence. And then he goes and crashes into the back of a slower car about 500 yards from the end of stage one. It was like, did that just happen? So stupid things can happen. You're right because they're they're all shaking off rust. Although, I think these guys kind of got a, a read on the track and shook off the rust in the race on Sunday. But I really thought, uh, you know, Chase Elliott uh, was really really strong, you know, coming back and then being in contention. But the one thing that was readily apparent, uh, you know, <laughs> clean air, you're, you're not catching anybody, and you know, so you got you got to be first or second you know, for that final restart, whenever that may be, because whoever gets the clean air is gone. Well, and something that's really interesting here about, you know, going back to Darlington once again, back-to-back races in the same place, NASCAR doesn't do this. So the guys know the racing line, know the groove they want to be in, obviously have plenty of familiarity with the track. This is a once-a-year stop, but here you've got the back-to-back races. So, you know, this is certainly going to help these guys out a lot. But something that's so interesting about NASCAR to me here over the last really five, six years, I would say, how cyclical it seems to be. Remember, Toyota was just dominant. Joe Gibbs Racing, they had the best equipment. They had the great drivers with you know Hamlin and Kyle Busch. Then Martin Truex, part of that satellite team for Furniture Row Racing. Then all of a sudden, Ford closed the gap. And you had the Penske guys, Keslowski, Logano, Ryan Blaney's had some great cars. Over the last couple of years, you got Harvick, of course, for Stuart Haas. Now, all of a sudden, Chevy's had a resurgence. You know, Alex Bowman's been running really good. Chase Elliott's been running very good. Matt Kenseth in a Chevy over the weekend. He looked great. Jimmy Johnson's car's been better over the last 18 months. It's really interesting to see that you had this huge gap of Toyota better than everybody else. Then Ford closed it. Now Chevy's closed it. And week in and week out, any of the three manufacturers could win, and it's not a surprise. That was that's different than what it was a few years ago. No, I everything you say spot on, and, and I think you know. I think the other thing is when you're looking at drivers, uh, the the Reddick kid who they said is just he's got the pedal to the floor all the time. He ran very well. Nemechek ran really well, and the funny thing is, you know, you think about. I'm coming back to Chase Elliott for a minute, and I'm going to play him this week. Uh, but this is obviously an odd dynamic uh, this year. Actually, it might not be a bad play now, uh, you know, for this guy to, to win the championship. 
I, I think in the next couple of years, I think Elliott's going to, you know, as, as dominant as Kyle, like Kyle Bush has been, uh, I, I can see Chase Elliott leapfrogging and going to the top of the pack. I mean, you think about it, Adam. I mean, once he learned how to win, he, he literally, he, I mean, it's like Logano. He's like a cockroach. You can't kill him. He's always there. Uh, Elliott's to the point now, he's always there. And the crazy thing about him, it seems like he's been around for a while. He's only 24. You know, I mean, I, I think Elliott is, is the next good thing in this sport. I really do. One of the guys I'm looking at here, I know you mentioned him last week, almost kind of in passing, just when we were talking about a lot of the handicapping elements that you want to look at in these races, you know, continuity within the pit crew is going to be very, very important. You mentioned Brad Keselowski. His team almost always has him in a position to win. I do like him this week at 9-1. to one. He finished 13th last week, but he was running up towards the front of the pack, one stage two, actually, before you know things didn't really go his way in the final stage. I do like him a little bit, but that's another important factor here. You've got this quick turnaround, and I've been reading about Kevin Harvick's going to run the exact same car. They're going to make a couple modifications, fix the things that need to be fixed. Other than that, he's running the same car that he just wanted. Other teams are changing cars. Ryan Blaney's changing his car. Can't blame him for, you know, he had a lack of speed on Sunday. But now you're going to go to that quote-unquote backup car, which may actually be better than the car you ran on Sunday, but no practice, no qualifying. So you got to figure out this new car on the fly, make your adjustments with that first and second pit stop, stuff like that. Again, another very challenging handicap where you got to put your trust in, in the top teams and the top drivers and hope that they make the smart decisions, whether it's in the pits or with the car that they run here on Wednesday or Thursday. Well, you know, if you're Harvick, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So uh, that makes complete sense. But, you know, the the other the point you make is, is spot on in that, you know, it's a night race. And the way the track is going to play is going to be completely different. I, I have no reason to think that Harvick's car won't respond and they'll make the adjustments necessary. They know the car's good. And they, they were talking during the race that you know, many of the drivers and the up-and-coming guys, too, uh, I guess they... When races are over, they sit there and watch his telemetry of how he does the throttle uh, at Talladega, that he's just that good. So you got a guy that's great on the track. The car was great. Every reason to think it, it could be great again. But we just, you talk about some other guys are going to some different cars, but it's a day race to a night race. You know, two or three cars out of nowhere could become the dominant car. So it's intriguing. It's fun to watch. One last point to make here about this Toyota 500 at Darlington. Again, slated for Wednesday at 7.30 Eastern if the rain pushes it back. I believe it's 7 o'clock Eastern on Thursday, either 7 or 7.30, one of the two. Again, it is a night race, so that is a little bit different. Um, Actually, a couple of points here, but the first one specifically about this race, Eric Jones is 13-1, to showed some good speed. He showed some very good speed. However... His crew chief is suspended for this race. Post-race inspection, two loose lug nuts. Not really the situation you want a suspended crew chief with a, a three-day turnaround. It's something that you're not really accustomed to. Yeah. You know, the other thing I was thinking about, too, uh, that uh, if fans were going to this event, I bet you they would have said, hey, we're moving it today. They'd say, we're moving this to Thursday, you know. 
but there are no fans to be worried about, you know, having all these people get in there and do nothing. So they'll show up, and, and maybe they hope there's there's a hole in the weather and they can do it. But if fans were going, I bet you they would have just looked at the forecast and said, we're moving it to Thursday, kids. This is what we're doing. It may make sense to do that anyway, because right now, you know, it's all about trying to get ratings. And, you know, if, if you've got to start moving stuff around and whatnot, you know, I mean, not that you're going to lose people from Wednesday to Thursday necessarily, because a lot of people still won't be going out and doing things. But, you know, we could get a much earlier announcement than usual. Uh, by the way, Eric Jones in Group C out there in the betting market with Joey Logano, who's a big favorite in that group, plus 130. Jimmy Johnson, about 3-1. to one. Eric Jones, same thing. Then Billy Byron. William Byron's been running pretty good here of late in the plus 380 range. So, again, you don't have to try and throw darts and pick a winner in this thing. Those group matchups are a really good option as well. Yes, it is. And, and the one thing I would say, uh, I always take a little swing, you know, a little small parlay that pays, you know, literally uh, the parlay pays about, 45 50 to 1 for a three team parlay in the, in the group matchups and i was i i had truex and ryan priest who was right there was a lot there was a long stretch of that race uh, where i was down to i need one guy to beat one guy and it's a long fun run for your money um the one guy that was in the cookie jar that i played in the one group matchup we didn't mention him was kurt bush ran very well Kurt Busch is savvy, man. I mean, that guy—he's just, just a driver, you know. I mean, oh, that, yeah. that was—he—he he just showed up, and he, he's terrific on the restarts. But you're—you're you're right. I mean, now they got a race under their belt, you know. It's—it's it's like, uh, you know, that was—he didn't win it, but but he was—he was certainly worth worth the shot there because, well, hey, Matt Kenseth wasn't in a car for two years, and I played him to win. I see. You never know. He'd won there before. He was getting getting in a good car. But they were they were marveling. The guy had been in a car for two years, and you know he he was right there hovering. Did he? He he was about ninth or tenth. Did he? I don't know if he finished in the top ten, but he ran well. So the drivers matter, obviously. Yeah, for sure. And, and speaking of Ryan Priest, he actually starts on the pole here because what NASCAR did, they inverted the top twenty finish. So if you finish twentieth, you're running first to start off this race. If you finish 19th, you're running second. So Ryan Priest and Ty Dillon on the front row here for the start to this race. Everyone 21 and below starting where they finished in the previous race. But one last thing I want to ask you about here, Brian, and I kind of saw this being talked about over on NASCAR's official website as I was doing some research to, to write up the article here this morning. You're going to have five races in 14 days. You've got Darlington back-to-back, Charlotte back-to-back, May 24th and 27th, Bristol on the books for May 31st, the Food City 500 there. Then you've got a week off for Atlanta, but then another quick turnaround to Martinsville, another quick turnaround four days later to Homestead, then Talladega a week later. So you're sort of looking at whatever that is, nine races in the span of a month or so, you've got five races in 14 days here. We don't think of NASCAR drivers as athletes, but, I mean, this takes a toll on your body, physically and mentally, and I sort of wonder about that, and we can revisit that next week when we start looking at, um, you know, the second race at Charlotte, but, I mean, you know, do you take, do you sort of fade the older guys, kind of worrying about fatigue, physical and mental? Do you start looking at some of the younger guys as these races kind of mount? That's good. And then you got the back-to-back at Pocono potentially if the schedule's not changed. 
there's going to be almost an element of situational handicapping to NASCAR this year, which is kind of uncharted territory, like pretty much everything else during this pandemic. And they were talking about the fatigue during that race, saying that that is Darlington's such a physical track. And oh, by the way, that was a 400 mile race. This next one's 500 miles. Uh, you're right. And then, you know, I'll tell you one thing looking ahead, boy, it was great. It, it, the ship has kind of sailed, but maybe we get an overlaid price. But there was a stretch there for about, oof, I don't know, five, six years. And, and I'm not looking it up. I'm going from memory. But uh, literally, you, you played uh, Kurt Busch and Denny Hamlin at Pocono. Just put it on the board. And, and they, they had stretches where they, they were, and Hamlin specifically, uh, for there was a stretch of a couple of years, just ran amazing at Pocono. It was like dominant. Well, and again, I mean, you know, we start looking not just at the drivers, but but also at the teams. And, you know, the not just the pit crews and the crew chiefs and all that, but the money. I mean, the financial element of this with so many races in short order. I mean, you're going to have 11 races in, you know, a month and a week and a half, basically. That's a lot. And, and if you've got teams and a lot of these teams, of course, in the Xfinity series, too, where, yeah, I understand they're not as worried about that. But that may negatively impact some of the Xfinity Series drivers. So, again, a lot of moving parts here with this. NASCAR is always a complex handicap. But with the format of the schedule in its current state, if things don't have to change, you know, as we're starting to get back to normal here, again, a lot of situational handicapping, kind of looking at the drivers and reading into their quotes of how they're handling this and all that. Uh, You know, I've... I've never been a a huge NASCAR guy. I've kind of filled the void at bangthebook.com, but I'm very excited here about this next month and a month and a week or so to handicap this because again, it's so much more detailed and, and nuanced of a handicap than usual. Oh, I love the I love the stuff. And like we talked about last week. I mean, those group matchups, I think there's a lot of ways to, you know, go for it. I I again, I like Chase Elliott very much. I've already I've already made my plays in, in the group matchups. Before the the draw was announced in a matchup, I played Priest plus two fifty over Daryl Wallace, Ty Dillon, Michael McDowell. Um, you know, Priest was running really good, and something went wrong with the car. That's the thing, man. It's a car race, and anything can happen. But I like Elliott and his group, and Priest and his group. And it took a little flyer too. I had De Benedetto last week, and he was up there, uh, and then started to run a little bit mid pack. Tyler Reddick was really impressive, and you know, it's one of these, be careful of what you last saw. That was great. Give the kid credit. He's plus 230. But I thought in the the one group, Clint Boyer plus 295 is the longest price in that group. I I, I think Clint Boyer, you know, he was wrecking all over place uh, the place in the cartoon races. But, you know, Clint Boyer's kind of got that Ryan Newman aspect to him where he just hangs around and he runs good. I like that a lot. I, I like Keslowski here this week. I'm going to fade Eric Jones in some some group matchups and hopefully some head-to-head stuff uh, as we get closer to the race as well without his crew chief. But I, I like the one you just mentioned about maybe fading Reddick a little bit there because Matt Kenseth coming back, and I give you credit, you were much higher on Kenseth last week than I was. So props to you for that. He finishes in the top 10. But Kenseth comes back, has this great race. You know, everyone marveling at the fact that he goes to Chevy, goes to the new rules package, and it's like he doesn't miss a beat, uses his platform to prop up Tyler Reddick. And good for him, and that's awesome for Tyler Reddick, but I agree. Now now I think you're kind of selling high on Tyler Reddick in some of the group stuff here this week. I think that's an excellent angle. 
Well, and the other thing, and good for the kid. They just say he's so aggressive uh, that that's great. And, and, you know, he ran really, really, really well. But you still get that youthful indiscretion thing where, and Darlington's a pretty unforgiving place. Give him full marks for everything he did the last time. But it's it, not going to shock you that, you know, he's I got to push it just an inch further because, you know, and, and he makes a mistake. You know, that, that wouldn't shock me in the least. All right, so we transition over to the golf side of things here. And I know you and I were both tuned in watching uh, Rory and DJ beat Fowler and Wolf, and I'll say beat with an asterisk because they won a closest to the pin contest to actually win that because of how the Skins game played out. They were tied, had to go into their sudden death format and all that kind of thing. But you know what? It was fun to watch. It was nice to see the guys kind of spray the ball around the course a little bit like some of us do. They still hit a lot of great shots, hit some bad shots, but props to Seminole Golf Club. I mean, that course played real tough and I don't know. Maybe they'll get a PGA Tour event out of it at some point in time. Oh man! And, and the wind was kicking up. And but by the way, you know that's the thing about a match. And, and they, we said there were two different bets: who'd win the th- who'd win the most skins, who'd win the most money. And of course, that 18th hole, and then the carryovers came into play. Uh, but you know, Ricky Fowler's the guy that sits there as a birdie machine on that course. You know, McElroy got all the pub, but in match play, the way Fowler rolls the rock, I wanted to. It, it, it was like, you, you got to be kidding me. The, the one play I made was that they'd win the first skin, and Fowler has like a nine-footer on the first hole and misses it, and then after that he couldn't miss. You know, uh, But that's the, that's the thing you get in a match play thing. Uh, the flat stick's the great equalizer. I took it on the chin with one. I laid a big price, minus 250, looking for someone to have eagle or better, and Rory and Wolf had eagle putts. I think it was on 14 or 15 uh, and neither guy was able to put it in. Not real great efforts either way. That was a mistake on my part. I mean, I, I guess I kind of took for granted the fact that, you know, these are three world-class players plus an up-and-comer in Matt Wolf, who I mean, was a national champion uh, at Oklahoma State. But the rust factor was evident. You know, there was no range time. They weren't allowed to play on the range because of... Your your bet wasn't bad. It, it was not bad. Uh, you know, but it, where it went awry, it was the wind. I mean, I mean, it was it was a windy, windy day. I mean, these guys were stiff in wedges, you know, from eighty yards because some of the holes were short. But you know, you're talking an eagle, uh, you know, stiff in one from two hundred and twenty yards in a twenty mile an hour wind's a different animal. I mean, the, the, the rationale behind it was three par fives, four world class players. You're getting 12 kicks at it, plus the potential for the hole-in-one for an eagle on the par. You know, literally, you were getting 12 realistic kicks at that bet with four guys that have a prowess for, you know, getting eagles. And in that format, and and you would also think they'd set the course up, you know, they used to set the skins game up that way. You know, the high drama, and somebody got it. The bet wasn't bad. It was the weather got you, the wind. The wind, from, from, from an eagle's perspective, almost made it, Next to impossible, to be honest with you. Well, and like so, I said, check the weather, I guess, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, the, the course played tough. You know, I mean, the course definitely played as it was designed to play. Like you said, the wind kicked up. I mean, it's it's a very flat, wide open course. There's nothing that cuts the wind down at and, all. And it's windy, and it's on the shore. Yeah. So I mean, take take wind there, multiply it because you you know you got the wind coming off the water. 
It, it also didn't help me that I mean DJ was terrible. He he was, he, he had he no, was all over the place, man. He had no desire to be there. No, it, it was bad. Rory carried his ass, and I mean, look, it was just kind of a commentary on Rory and and just you know the the current form that he's in, even with the long quarantine layoff. I mean, he was great before, played very well there, scrambled really well too, which is something that's very impressive for Rory. In any event, we look ahead here this week to Medalist Golf Club, which. Tiger's a member at, and in fact, they play from the Tiger Tees. Those are the tips here at Medalist Golf Club. It extends the course about 300 more yards to 75-15 from what I was reading about. Not a ton of information out there on this course. It's kind of a very private members-only type thing. There's not a whole lot of scorecards or anything like that to take a look at. But it is important to know the format for this event because it is different from that Skins game format. What we've got here is the first nine holes, Tiger and Peyton Manning together, Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson together. The first nine holes are four ball, best ball. The back nine, everybody hits a tee shot. You pick Mm -hmm. a tee shot and then play the modified alternate shot. So that's what we're looking at here with this, where Tiger and, and Peyton Manning, about a minus 185, minus 190 favorite or so against Phil and Tom Brady. No, the format absolutely is critical there, and, uh, you know, I think they're very deserving favorites. Uh, Mickelson shorts game, you know, all that we know. Putting is a great equalizer. But I think simply put, you know, Peyton Manning uh, has had time to golf. You know, Tom Brady's a football player. Tom Brady golfs a bit in the offseason. It's not like he's got to spend six weeks getting ready for this thing. But I would, I would just think overall Manning's game would be uh, much more well-rounded, simply put, because he's been playing, I would think, a lot more than Tom Brady. You know, by the way, he's part of the Tigers. So not, a, not a bad deal either. And t- by the way, y- you want to throw a revenge thing in there? Throw the revenge thing in there because Mickelson won the $9 million in the made-for-TV event last year. So Tigers got revenge, too. He doesn't like losing. Well, and as I'm looking here in the market, in fact, Tiger and Peyton have taken some money. I'm actually seeing this one up as high as minus 240, minus 250 now. Understandable. Yeah, I mean, Peyton's a six handicap, according to what they say. Tom Brady's an eight handicap. Um, You know, I mean, hey, this just should be a lot of fun. I think, I mean, Peyton Manning's made for this kind of event. He's fantastic on TV. We all know he's a pitch man for different products and stuff like that. He'll be great. Tiger and Phil with some... You know, subtle and not so subtle barbs back and forth. This one well, should be a whole lot of fun. And I, I'm not knocking the guy. I mean, he's amazing as a football player. Uh, but doesn't I think this actually could be a good thing for Tom Brady? Doesn't he come off because Peyton Manning is actually a pretty funny guy? I mean, you ever watch him host Saturday Night Live? He's actually really funny. Um, Brady's a pretty robotic isn't he he's just he's just pretty I mean, he's not bill belichick dry but he's he's just a pretty dry guy i i think i think we'll see how this plays out i think people maybe get introduced to this guy's personality a little bit unless he's completely void of one yeah no i think that makes sense and, and, and something else i was kind of looking at here a little bit with the format again you've got woods and manning a big favorite and this makes sense because what probably dictates the full match bet is the alternate shot thing, because I think you trust Peyton Manning more than Tom Brady. And with the alternate shot for the back nine, 
that's probably where the difference is. I mean, I don't know how Tiger's going to look coming off the shelf. Yeah, he's had time to rest the back, but who knows how he's going to look there. I don't know how Phil's going to look. Those two guys, probably to a degree, over the entire match, cancel each other out to some level. But Peyton is supposed to be a lot better than Brady. That's probably the difference, given the alternate shot for the back nine. The thing that will be really interesting is uh, in that back nine format, when both guys hit and then you choose, for argument's sake, I think in both instances you'll see this, You know, for argument's sake, Manning hits a, hits a, uh, a good drive, 240, you know, and Tiger hits one out 310, right? You may end you may end up uh, seeing Tiger, you know, hit the 180 yard shot instead of Manning hitting the 120 yard shot, you know, because the strategy involved, you know, look, look we got to get on the dance floor, and it all be I think it'll be predicated on how those guys are playing on the front nine too, but there'll be some there'll be some decisions people might think what are they doing the other one's 90 yards further down, no they've you know Tiger said I'll get you on the green. And, and you take a kick at it, you know, the, the, because there's strategy. And not only not only will that, that kind of situation come into play, but you're also ba- you're playing off where's your opponent. Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. That's a very good point to make there. And, you know, something I kind of thought about a little bit is that, you know, with the best ball format for the front nine where everyone's just kind of hitting their own shots, Mickelson, you know, at plus money, maybe not a bad grab against Tiger Woods because – the pros are going to be playing, you know, their balls pretty much the whole way. Yeah. If if you were playing, yes, the handicap would be if you're, you know, if there's a front nine bet available to you, you could make a case for playing Mickelson or playing the Mickelson team on the front nine, because basically you've got Mickelson versus Tiger. Let's let's cut to the chase there, right? I mean, yeah. And, and the line is in fact. And I know, by the way, our, our I guess. Uh, are are they do we know this are brady and manning also playing from the tips no, are I they playing know. from the tiger tips i got a funny feeling you might see tiger and phil from the tips and there there may be i, I and I, we should, if we're yapping about this and got a bet on it we should know this i apologize but i think wouldn't it make sense that conceivably you know they're not going to kill throw brady and manning to the wolves you know, playing from the tips, they may they be maybe playing one tee box up. Yeah, that makes sense. I I haven't seen any clarification about that because I was thinking along the same lines. I'm like, you're you're not going to put these. I mean, these are named for for Tiger effing Woods. I mean, they're not going to make Peyton Manning and Tom Brady play from those. I don't think. But those guys, they'll get, they'll get eaten alive back there. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen anything. I, I get a funny feeling they play I'm, from the tips and then right. these guys play from the blue tees, something like that. I it almost makes sense. Now the alter, the alternate shot thing, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, it's the great you know these guys hit at two seventy. We know Tiger and and Mickelson are hitting at three three ten on the, off the tee. So you want to you tr- that's like golf with the handicaps. I mean, you try to you know even things up that everybody's playing kind of a common game. I, w- I would I would I'd have to believe they they're letting them play from shorter tees. Yeah, no, that would make a lot of sense. And and just from a betting action standpoint. Woods and Manning, as I mentioned already, have taken money to win the whole thing, but Mickelson and Brady have taken the first nine holes with Phil at plus money against Tiger, which is basically what we're probably looking at here for the most part for that best ball format. Tons of props here, too. You know, over under Peyton Manning commercials during the broadcast, 
Uh, will Tiger wear red? It's Sunday, so yes, Tiger's going to wear red. Uh, you know, will anybody say deflate or Gronk or Omaha? I think Omaha could be a thing because if Peyton Manning sprays a drive like 65 yards off the fairway, I wouldn't be shocked if Phil says to him something like, oh, you're trying to hit that one to Omaha, huh, Peyton? Or something like that. One of those dad joke kind of things. I think Omaha, yes, plus 225, plus 250 is, is worth a flyer as kind of a joke prop bet for some pizza money. Well, how, how about Wolf in the thing last week? That you know, These guys know their histories. How about Wolf? Wolf was over in the dunes. And and he he yelled over and I don't think Dustin Johnson took too kindly to it. it he yelled over, "Can I ground the club here?" <laughs> remember you know, when uh, DJ uh, lost the PGA because he grounded the club in a way in a a similar thing like a it was like a waste dirt area, and he grounded the club and the penalty the ensuing penalty cost him the title. And he said, "Yeah, can I that's ground awesome. the club here?" I think mean, I mean, he might he might maybe that's one of the reasons. Because that was relatively early. That that might be one of the reasons Dustin Johnson <laughs> didn't do a damn thing. He was thinking about burying a wedge in Wolf's head. Uh, I mean, DJ gets – he's got millions of dollars. He goes home to Paulina Gretzky. He'll be fine. But, yeah, he'll you know, get over. Yeah, right. Oh, I also heard what, what – I think when Wolf sprayed one of his drives, Rory said thanks for social distancing or something like that to him. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, 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 McElroy yeah. tried to, to spice it up. I mean, it, but honestly, they were – Personality-wise, you know, I think it left a lot to be desired. Well, hopefully, they make up for it here on this one. But again, I mean, this those little barbs speaks to what you and I were talking about at the end of last week's show. If you're not going to have crowd noise and all the ambient noise and all that, please, for the love of God, mic up the players. Just please do it. Oh, I'd be so great. And have the announcers not talk over it. <laughs> well, speaking of announcers here, Justin Thomas is going to be one of the on-course uh, reporters here, and Charles Barkley, you know, back in the uh, in the quote-unquote booth. I'm sure they're distancing, but so you got Charles kind of on the commentary. You got Justin Thomas walking around the course. Uh, you know, should be should be fun. I, I'm I know that the 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 actual play is going to be worse than it was last weekend, but I think the entertainment value could be higher for this one. Yeah, no, something to watch. Looking forward to it. And I know you're going to segue back into it, but it was an enjoyable weekend. Uh, you had the car race, you had the golf, you had the UFC, and Santa Anita and uh, Churchill Downs opened up, which was great. Now we're getting word that the uh, in New York, Naira's going to open on June 1st. Uh, Golden Gate opened, by the way. So horse racing's starting to ratchet up. So we're we're, we're kind of getting there. Adam, I mean, a long, long way to go, but at least, you know, there's sports out there now that we don't know the result of we're watching. Yeah, I, I think Thistledown around here in the Cleveland area opens up, I want to say Saturday, with no fans, and, you know, hey, we're, we're slowly but surely getting back to normal, and, you know, not only just the horse racing thing, and we'll have plenty of time to talk horse racing, the Santa Anita Derby is less than a month away now, that'll be the next big prep race for the Kentucky Derby, but in terms of starting to get back to normal, a lot of the governors coming out, including some key ones, Texas, California, New York, all saying, yeah, pro sports can come back. You know, in Ohio, they're going to allow non-contact sports leagues. So, you know, kids will be able to play Little League in the summer and stuff like that. So we're starting to get to that point now. And you and I had a quick phone call here this morning. We were kind of going over what we were going to talk about. The NHL, it, it 
feels like we know Major League Baseball is close. If they can come to an agreement with the players and the owners and the league, they'll be back. Florida and Arizona already open for spring training. Now you've got major states saying pro sports are good. But the NHL, it feels like they're kind of coming to a crescendo here as they've got their two-city plan kind of starting to come together. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it's changed 20 different times. And we go back to this thing and on our daily hockey show, the funny thing is in the very beginning, you know, I was, I was, I was serious but half-joking. And, I, I mean, literally, this is like the first week. I said, the only way they're ever going to pull this off, send, you send these guys to Greenland. And, and the premise was sound is you got to send them where the thing isn't. And then there was all this talk. Oh, now it's, you know, dozen cities, and they're looking to do four sites. And a long time I'm going, isn't that nuts? I mean, why don't you just do an Eastern Conference and a Western Conference city? Less is more, you know, to try to hunker these guys down. And sure enough, now I think it's down from four. Looks like two. Um, they're talking up Vegas. Uh, there's a lot of love for the facilities up in Edmonton. And Toronto's been kind of mentioned. But it, it, the logistics of the thing is just insane. And they were talking about the early draft. Well, the early draft thing, you can't. You can't do anything in relation to the draft until you say, what's the format for the conclusion of the season? And the pushback the GMs gave Gary Bettman, it seems like they pushed back pretty hard and won the, uh, you know, George McPhee out here did. He's like, yeah, bring it on. We're ready, whatever. Well, it's easy to say when you're picking 24th, you know. Uh, You got the teams, if they were going to do the early draft, they were going to go back to the old format where you could only jump three spots. So the teams that the other teams that were out of the playoffs, you know, they're sitting there go, wait a minute, I want to be in the lottery. I, I want a chance to jump into the top three. So I think the GMs actually pushed back, and it, it appears they kind of won that battle. Yeah, a lot of moving parts, and again, you know, you've you've got a lot of player concerns. Will players be able to be around their families at all? If not, for how long? You know, what happens? You, you and I have talked about this a lot already. What happens if somebody pops a positive test? Do you shut it down? Do you isolate that guy? Like the KBO, for example, they're saying if anybody pops a positive test, three weeks shutdown. No matter what, everybody, everything, it's done. Uh-oh. You can't do that with the well, NHL. Well, the NHL, yeah, well, no, he, uh, Bill Daly said no. You, you know, okay. And that's the thing. You can't even consider this if you're going to do that. It's if a guy tests positive, you keep going. The calamity is. You know, what if a guy tests positive one day and then oh, he's out for two weeks and then they play and it's game three of the second round and th- that guy's been gone for four days and all of a sudden six guys test positive on a certain team. What the hell do you do then? I right. mean, that's, you know, that's the nightmare scenario. But, you know, and then they're talking about accommodating the guys and, and that their families can go with them. They're talking about this stuff, but I, honestly, the the big and I we brought this up a few weeks ago. I'm sure I I'm sure we talked about it last week, and sure enough, days after we brought the subject up, you know, the Snell kid from the Rays, like, nah, I ain't doing it, and and what so we said, you know, the, these players are going to have to sign releases. Uh, the NHLPA uh, is going to have to say, okay, yeah, we're in. We're doing it. They're signing a release. We're going in the harm's way, free will, volition. We know what we're doing, blah, 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 blah. But what if Sidney Crosby says, yeah, thanks, no, no thanks. I, and I, you know, the Snell kid could be the tip of the iceberg 
you know, what if, um, you know, uh, pick a guy in the NBA, you know, pick a pick a star from a team. You know, what if James Harden says, yeah, no, I ain't doing it. Well, and that's a big question, too, is, you know, I mean, if you're a player approaching free agency, do you put yourself at risk? You know, because you know, and this is especially true of baseball for starting pitchers, but of every sport, you got to go, you know, I mean, you've been working out at home and, and doing whatever else, but now all of a sudden, you know, you're going back to work. You're going back to full bore, and if the NHL tries to complete any of the regular season, you're trying to get in the playoffs. So, there's potential future equity in playing really well in this odd format, having a nice playoffs, getting a big free agent deal, something like that. But for pitchers in Major League Baseball, do you want to start with your arm again, make 10, 12 starts, whatever the case may be, and then head into free agency? You know, is that something you want to yeah. take the risk of uh, doing? Yeah. So you have to That's... leave I think you have to leave a choice up to players individually to say, I want to come back or I don't respect that choice and then this may give opportunities to younger players it may start the service time clock in major league baseball stuff like that so i think you eventually get something but what it looks like i don't know because i don't know who's going to agree to play and if they'll be in for the long haul and oh by the way just in that vein and you're always kind enough at the end of the show say hey how can they people listen to stuff but just because it's the topic uh and honestly it was really, I thought, compelling and interesting. Yesterday on Vegas Hockey Hotline, you can get my shows. Go to my Twitter, at Brian Blessing, and I, I tweet out the shows, that, and they're archived at sportsbookradio.com. But yesterday, Adam Hill, who works for the uh, Review Journal, he's been covering the UFC, you know, blanket coverage since its inception. And he's a Golden Knights, uh, one of the beat reporters for the Golden Knights, Raiders, uh, UFC, and he was one of six media members at UFC 249. And literally, this entire uh, show yesterday, really interesting because it speaks volumes to all the things that are to come. And it went through his experience, how the media, how he was tested, how the players were tested, the rules they put into place, what worked, what didn't work, at UFC 249, which, believe me, all the other leagues were watching. And here's a guy who was one of the very few uh, that was involved in the first salvo of sporting events, you know, during and as this pandemic eventually winds down. It w- it's really, really interesting. To, and just Adam's, you know, documentation of how that all went down. And, uh, and it, it just speaks volumes to all the things that, We've kind of speculated about for weeks on end, Adam. Well, Adam actually went through it, and I, I think it really tells a tale, and it also makes you realize the logistics of this thing is just a nightmare. Here, I'll throw one at you. You know, oh, the football wants to come back with fans. Great. We all we all want that. But, okay, what if even when it comes back, they start and say, okay, uh a 60, 70,000 seat stadium, we're going to come back and people can get back in, you know, sitting two, three seats apart. Apart. So if you've got a stadium that's at 30 seat capacity, like Raiders fans, my God, we know what they're like. Well, there's, if you've got Raiders fans, how you determine who actually gets to use their ticket and who doesn't? I mean, you're, you're, you're laying a civil war out there 
for the fans going, how did I, I want to go. I'm the odd man out. Why ain't I going? Yeah, no, that's true. That's very true. I, I don't know how this works with fans. I mean, and obviously college football is kind of, you know, they're setting themselves up. A lot of these universities saying, we're not going to do a fall break. We're going to start winter break right around Thanksgiving because the expectation is of a second wave, you know, late fall on into winter. So they're talking about some of the schools. Did you see this? Some of the schools. Oh, man, what school was it? Um, But there are several schools. Vandy might have been one of them where they're they're They are opening the campus and they're doing the fall semester but they've already canceled the next semester that they're basically saying yeah we because they're expecting around christmas a second wave of this thing i mean this is this is insane you know it's craziness right they've already said yep students are coming but we're students in the fall but not when we get the, the and they're going to move the end of the first semester and it ends, you know, a couple weeks earlier than Christmas. They get the Christmas break, and then the, then the next semester they come back, and it's all online stuff. We we are on the ground floor of God knows what. It, it's crazy. I mean, you think about academic eligibility for college football and college basketball, and, you know, are those requirements changed a little bit because you've got, you know, the online distance learning that, you know, is, is different than in-person, you know, classroom learning all that kind of, you know, these kids all have to go to mandatory tutoring sessions and stuff. What happens with that? Oh, I, here, three, you know what? Talk to me in three years. You, you watch about the shifted power, you know, the SEC. You know, watch when the guys are deciding where they're going to get to go play from a, a recruiting class. And uh, all of a sudden, these five-star guys are going, I don't know about that place. You know, you know four years from now, Florida Atlantic wins the national championship. It'll be crazy. It'll be nuts. And one more thing that's nuts, I want to mention this because I just saw this come across the wire, uh, breaking news from ESPN around 1130. I guess they're releasing a horse racing podcast here sometime today, or maybe it's already out, where Naira, as you mentioned, the New York Racing Association, one, one of their board of director members says that the Belmont Stakes will be in June and will be run at a shorter distance than one and a half miles. So the Belmont, the first leg of the Triple Crown, going to run in June. Then you've got the Kentucky Derby in September, and then, what, the Preakness is like late October or something. All right, so the Triple Crown maintains, well, no, no, no it doesn't. <laughs> I mean, I no to a degree, idea. it maintains its integrity in that they kept the Triple Crown alive. Because you cannot run the mile-and-a-half race because horses don't recover from the mile-and-a-half race. So if the Belmont's the first leg of the Triple Crown, there's no way there's no way you can run that at a mile-and-a-half because nobody would have anything left for the Kentucky Derby. They're, they're completely flipping this around. So it's saying a shorter distance. The Preakness is a mile-and-three-sixteenths. My guess is... The shorter distance would be they'd run the mile and a quarter. They'd probably run the Derby distance, but you know the Derby winner, man. I mean, they all this is a crazy thing. Three races in a short window of time, uh, horses get worn down. So it's going to kind of be ass backwards, you know. I mean, the, the horse that wins the Kentucky Derby, it could be a new shooter, <laughs> you know. It could be somebody who just sat on the sidelines and they come in as a fresh horse. 
and win the Kentucky Derby when in reality they're like the seventh or eighth best horse in the crop. Well, and, and they're saying just generically in the month of June, and you've got Santa Anita, which is June what 15th, 13th, June 13th, I think, is the Santa Anita Derby. So now you're going to have some trainers pointing their horses to that as opposed to going up to Belmont. You're going to have some that go to Belmont now, and they're going to have to do late June here, right? Because a lot of these trainers are going to want to try and get one more prep race in somewhere around the country. Because otherwise, I mean, what do they run off of the Arkansas Derby, which was what two weeks ago? You know, I they got to point, so they got to find a way to point these horses to the Belmont. So it's going to have to be late June, right? You know, it's sometime Maybe. in June, I, I, yeah. I mean, well, there's enough time. Uh, they would want another race. Honestly, I mean, they'd want another, conceivably, two races. Uh, you know, between the what, – what's the derby date? It's November. Derby date is, what, September 5th? Or, I'm sorry, that's September 5th. September 5th, and the Preakness is October 3rd. Yeah, so they would want two more races. Uh, I mean, you could see something crazy, I mean, although it seems like the tracks are going to be up and running, that they, they may, you know, d- develop a, a new race. But I guess in the, in the summer meeting, and now you, you run the Belmont, the Wood Memorial. And, well, yeah, but well, but the well, see, the Wood generally go it goes before the Belmont, so they didn't, it'd be interesting to see what they're doing with the Wood. But what I think what you'd end up seeing, uh, you know, that the Travers and the Haskell, um, actually, albeit they're they're big races, but but they're actually like prep races for for. For the uh, Derby. Yeah. Uh, the June 6th, by the way, for the Santa Anita Derby. So, uh, well, as always, having to adapt, well, having to change on the fly. Well, wait a minute now. Okay. Well, then you're right. If, if, if predicated on, you'd like to think they've worked with other tracks in concert with this, that that would make sense if the Santa Anita Derby's early June, that the, the Belmont would go three weeks after the June 27th. Yeah, that sounds right. I mean, I think you'd go three weeks after the Santa Anita Derby. You don't want to make, you don't want to make it that, uh, the, the Santa Anita Derby is too close to a triple crown race because then it will, it will crush the field in the Santa Anita Derby. So, I mean, you'd like to think that the left hand's talking to the right, a three week break between races would be actually probably optimum. And, and think about this. I mean, the odds are, you know, Baffert's going to run Charlatan and Nadal. I doubt he'd run them against each other. So one of those two will run in the San Anita Derby and then go to the Belmont. And then where he, and where the other one would go uh, would be really interesting. If, if the wood is before the Belmont, Baffert could say, argument's sake, he keeps Charlatan out to run in the San Anita Derby. And he's, he's, or, or any ships in the Dahl to New York running the wood and then the Belmont, if they structure it that way. And there's pros and cons to it. You know, the, the, the one track would get familiarity to the surroundings in New York, uh, and the other one's got the comfort of home run in, in a routine before traveling in. It's, again, it's like anything. It's, it's good that, that news just came out. Um, it's It's... Yeah, are you putting lipstick on a pig? It's good. It's good that there's technically a triple crown, but 
30 years from now, you're sitting going, yeah, the horse won a Kentucky Derby. It wasn't really the Kentucky Derby. You right. know what I mean? I mean, it's just, it's, there's no way to compare the horse that wins the Kentucky Derby this year to all the other horses uh, in the previous 642 years they've run this. Well, we'll see what happens. I mean, you got the Bluegrass Stakes at Keeneland. you got the Lexington at Keeneland. Those both had to be moved. Maybe those become prep races for Churchill or something. I, just a lot of moving parts here, to say the least. But you know what? The one big takeaway here, and this is what we'll end on, Brian, is that with things hopefully starting to get back to normal here, this you know eight-month stretch of June through the end of the year, where we may have all these sports going on at once, the big July 4th weekend blowout with MLB potentially back. I don't know, maybe you make the Belmont July 4th. Uh, you know, you've got all kinds of different, you know, racing events going on with auto racing, golf. You're going to have the condensed golf majors and whatnot. The Masters Ryder Cup. Could be a whole hell of a lot of fun as long as everything kind of holds up and, and goes according to plan here. Yeah. And if. To see, well, but just to see how. You know, everyone's going to react to the speed bumps you know are going to come. And, you know, the Georgia thing, the, the Florida thing doesn't seem to be that bad. Uh, the Texas thing, they're, you know, you know, you don't know what you're being told. You listen to the media, it's like, oh, my God, you know, look at Texas, and they have this big spike. And Well, wait a minute. Yeah, half of that big spike was in a meat plant. You know, it's like, okay. In this whole thing, it sucks. You know that one person died from this thing, but you look at this: forty-one percent of the people that have perished in this thing lived in nursing homes. You know, I mean, I'm really not going to get political on this thing, but it's just the left hand doesn't talk to the right. In certain states, we're locking it down. Hey, we're going to run it. We're ready. here comes Rusty. You know, it's like a dog. There's the, they break from the gate. What's the where's the level playing field here, and you know it's just you wonder down the road of you know, one one little when it happens and it's going to happen. Oh, oh, we got a small spike in an area. You know, do we plug pull the plug on stuff, or or do we soldier through? And I don't think anybody has a clue what they're going to do. I don't know. I don't know. I know what we're going to do, though. We're going to keep covering all this stuff over at bangthebook.com. Keep doing the KBO podcast every Monday, Thursday, and be doing this show with Brian Blessing every Tuesday here. But, Brian, you mentioned it already. KSHP.com, sportsbookradio.com, your two shows, Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. Anything else you want to add? No, bud. Like you said, I think this is going to be a a crazy summer. We're starved to get sports back, and it's nice um, that we're – when we convene on Tuesdays, we're actually talking about numbers and events and handicapping and strategies. And you just think about it as we, we usually spend the summer uh, going bananas talking about football and how it's all going to shake out and, and start to look at futures. We're actually going to have a boatload of live activity, too. So I, I think you're right. This, the hope is this is going to be maybe the craziest, busiest summer, you know, for what it is we do that we'll ever have in our lifetime. Definitely hope so. Once again, make sure you follow Brian on Twitter, at Brian Blessing. Brian, appreciate your time as always, man. Thanks for hanging out with me, and I'll talk to you again next week. Have a great day, Adam. 
There you go. There's Brian Blessing. Once again, sportsbookradio.com, KSHP.com, for Sportsbook Radio and Vegas Hockey Hotline, at Brian Blessing on Twitter. I'll be back once again on Thursday with a new edition of the Betters Box, my KBO betting podcast. Make sure you check out all the stuff we've got going on over at bangthebook.com as well. That'll do it for me. Thank you so much for listening, everybody, and I will talk to you again on Thursday.